Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Good day. Welcome to this podcast series on active shooter events, sponsored by FirstNet, powered by AT&T. In an emergency, whether it's an active shooter situation or a natural disaster, you need a reliable way to communicate with the extended public safety community. That's why FirstNet is here for you. It's the first and only nationwide communications platform built with and for first responders. With a dedicated platform, prioritized connection, and no throttling, you can communicate when it's most critical. Visit FirstNet.com to learn more. When every second counts, first responders count on FirstNet. So this is number one in a six-part series on active shooter response, and I am here with my news editor, Joe Vince, today, and we're going to start the series off looking at what kind of brought active shooter events to the forefront of the public mind, and that was the attack at Columbine. So let me start off with, how are you doing today, Joe? Doing well. How about you? You know, I'm doing all right. Uh, we, we've come a long way from 1999 um, when the Columbine event occurred, and uh while we still see plenty of active shooter events, at least we don't have the shock and awe of it, I think, anymore. I think it's almost a sad mm-hmm. statement that we're getting used to seeing it in the news. Right. And that is probably, I mean, my gosh, it doesn't seem that long ago for, for myself. Um, but, yeah, I mean, over two decades. And to think of how, what what changes have come about um, both on the law enforcement side, but also I'd say on, on the public, the civilian side as well. Um, it, it, it's pretty staggering. It is. And, you know, that was, it was over two decades ago, 24 years ago. And um, I've had a lot of people say, refer to it as the Pearl Harbor of active shooter hmm. events. Uh, it really brought it to the public conscience. It brought it to the forefront of the public awareness and some people have said, hey, why was that? It's not like this was the first active shooter event. And in fact, in the second part of this series, we're going to talk about um, the Texas Tower event that happened way back in 1966. Right, right. And how it impacted active shooter response or rather police response, because we didn't even have the term active shooter back then. But with Columbine, I think what really brought it to public attention was it was the first event where rather than hearing about it the next day, two days later, on the news as a blurb, if it happened to to catch the the national news attention, we actually, we being the public, actually could see images broadcast live and via satellite from Columbine High School while the attack was still going on. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about police response protocols, but what the public saw for the first time, and like I said, live as it was happening, was law enforcement professionals uh, behind safe cover, relatively safe cover, in a parking lot on the perimeter around the school while you could still hear gunshots coming from inside of the school. And uh, everybody assumed, possibly rightly so, that every one of those gunshots meant another student shot or killed. Um and that's that, that's hard for any parent to take that that the police with body armor and guns and, and their job of protecting the public and they're staying safe while harm's being done. I, th- I think that was a, had a big impact with the 
live transmission. Oh, a- absolutely. I, I, I remember um, I was um, working at the time in Indianapolis and sort of in and out of uh, hearing the CNN updates. And the other thing that uh, I found so affecting at the time, too, was it, it was sort of the twin elements of uh, children as victims and, and honestly, children as as the perpetrators of this crime, of of this staggering massacre. Um, and, and I think that became um, I mean, it, that was just it was a hard thing, I think, for the public to really wrap their head around at the time. Especially uh, too, was. because oh, I was. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Especially, especially too, because there was no sense of an objective or a motive. Well, and that's just it. I mean, it it kind of also taught us that the the objective, uh, the motive may sometimes be revenge, but the, the, mm-hmm. the objective is to garner attention. You know, and you say children shooting children. Um, you know, with thirteen, it was thirteen killed. So it was twelve students and one teacher that were killed. Uh, by the two perpetrators, Harris and Kleibel. Um, and then you have 21 more injured by gunshots. Uh, and then three people injured trying to escape. And we have to count those those as casualties as well. But our two perpetrators were both, if I remember correctly, 17 years old. Uh, they were both seniors. I don't know if they were both mm-hmm. 17, but they're both seniors in high school. And we could, it's one of the the things about media that I don't like and I'd be critical of ourselves too, is when we talk about teenagers, people forget that 18 and 19 year old teenagers are legally adults. In a lot of places, 16 and 17 year olds, and they're teenagers, but they're considered adults for process of many things. You get driver's license at 16. Uh, you can enlist in the service at 17 with parental consent. Uh, at 18, obviously you do it on your own. You can buy a gun, you do all this other stuff. Um, it did that alone created a situation people forgot about law enforcement forgot about everybody and their brother. Uh, and I don't mean to say that harshly, every law enforcement agency in the country that was paying attention after Columbine started trying to develop some type of structured response protocol for active shooter events, specifically in schools, but nobody really prepared their law enforcement professionals or police officers and their deputies for the reality of having to drop the hammer on quote unquote children. Uh, you know, a 17 year old young male uh, is very easily could be taller than me at my five foot 10 outweigh me at my 200 pounds. But if the shooters, a 13 year old or a 14 year old, the job remains the same. And then it becomes much harder to cope with if you're the police officer that has to take that shot. And in one school shooting, the, the two shooters were 11 and 13. And how how does a police officer without any emotional trauma experience shoot an 11-year-old? It just can't be done. And we didn't really prepare for that. We, we, we trained everybody for the two high school shooters without ever teaching them to shoot at targets that depicted high school students. It, it got frustrating to me as a firearms instructor, I can tell you that. Yeah, I I can't imagine what that that split second thought process is like to have to, you know, you you find your target and you realize this this is maybe not even a kid who's who's reached puberty yet, 
And maybe you have a son and daughter that is around that same age and, and what that, what that effect has, uh, has on that, uh, that officer. Well, I got in a little bit of trouble because I, at the time uh, I had a son who was, uh, 12 years old. And when he was 13 and a half, 14 years old, uh, he was 12 at the time of Columbine. A couple of years later, when we were developing the firearms training and, and the response tactics and protocols, I, I got him a uh, AK-47 appearance airsoft gun that had a little orange tip on it. And I spray painted mm -hmm. that black tip so it didn't look like it was an airsoft gun. It looked like it was an AK-47. And I took pictures of him in various shooting positions with the gun aimed at the camera. And I blew them up into target size. I mean, I mean, I made targets out of it. They were, they were, you know, poster sized pictures of this 13 and a half to 14 year old kid holding a weapon, presenting a threat. And then I trained police officers to engage that target. We made it a judgmental, shoot, judgmental shooting drill. Uh, and I had plenty of chiefs of police that said, you can't teach my police officers to shoot children. 13, 14 years old, child, minor. Not of age, 100%, no, no argument. But then when I would ask those chiefs, how do you expect your police officers to deal with the emotional trauma of that if they have to do it without ever having even given them the thought, you might have to do this. And then having them seen it in their head, you know, I mean, actually seen it on the range. Uh, and, and it created a kind of a large challenge. Um, let me, let me move away from that. we also, the big one of the biggest things that came out of Columbine was our first structured protocol for response. We were talking about this earlier, uh, and the standard became a, what we call a four-man diamond. First four officers get on the scene, make entry, move to the sounds of shots, and neutralize the shooter. And I wish I could put air quotes around the word neutralize where everybody could see me, because what it meant was shoot them a lot till they stop committing crimes. Uh, nobody at the beginning was talking about arresting school shooters. They had the audacity to go hunt our children. This was the price they paid. Nobody blinked thinking about it. You're a parent. What are your thoughts on that? I, I mean, it's it, you're a parent on both sides of it because you're a parent on the side of the children who are endangered. Um, but at the same time, I know myself as a parent um and a grandparent um that you have there's a sense there's there is a, a a sense of empathy there's um there's pain to that uh that oh my gosh that this is this is what we have to do in, in some cases um but you know that is kind of i, I mean it's a situation that's placed in I, I would hate to have that uh shooter you know still able to um continue hurting other children um, yeah and, and, that's, and it, that's the biggest key joe i'm sorry to interrupt you but that's the no it's i hear i go into this high school and i've got somebody shooting and i come around the corner and it's somebody who's obviously just as an example a freshman in high school they're not the biggest kid in the school you know, they're, they're not filled out yet. They're barely starting through puberty or they're you know, halfway through whatever. They're obviously minor child, but here they are holding a weapon, uh, shooting other children. And, you know, my choices are engage the shooter or 
let them continue to kill potentially the you know the moral duty and and the sworn the oath that we took as police officers is engage the shooter uh, but i yeah i i like i i think about myself and i i can't think i'm just going to go around the corner and start shooting them i'm probably going to go around the corner screaming so bad my throat bleeds for them to drop the gun praying that they listen to me and actually drop the gun and then probably not even giving them enough time to do so. Um, let me let me for a moment here. We want to make sure our listeners know that this podcast series is sponsored by FirstNet, powered by AT&T. In an emergency like an active shooter situation, you need a reliable way to communicate with the extended public safety community. FirstNet is the first and only nationwide communications platform built with and for first responders, providing a dedicated platform with a prioritized connection and no throttling. Visit firstnet.com to learn more. Now, Joe, we were talking. You're a grandparent. I'm a grandparent. Obviously, we're both parents as well. I spent 40 years behind a badge. I've been a firearms instructor for a long time. I don't even want to tell you how many years. We teach judgmental shooting. We teach active shooter response. So here we were in 19 or in 2000, actually. I took my first active shooter response trainer course. And the plan was, like I said, four-man diamond. But it, it came to a point where we knew it wouldn't work for two reasons. And I get your observations on both of these. Number one, some places getting four police officers on the scene would take so long there'd be nobody left alive in the school. I mean, some places just don't mm -hmm. have any cops handy. Number two, we realized that there were some law enforcement officers out there that simply did not have the intestinal fortitude to run into that building while the gunshots were being fired. Even if that was their job and if that's how they were trained, they were going to hear or see bullets flying and be like, nope, not today. I'm going to stay behind this 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 safe cover. All right. So what are your thoughts on the four-man diamond? I mean, you're you're not a cop. What right. do you if I tell you that's our plan, four-man diamond, and I I'm not even sure how many cops there are around where you live. I know there's places where you might get one cop for every hundred square miles. Is that a good plan? You know, and that it it becomes um I think of these situations that have popped up that you need to have a plan going in. You need to have um, some type of system where the officers who are responding have a framework to operate around and the ability to improvise with that. Because like you said, you, are you going to have the ability to get that many officers who are who are trained up to be able to do this um, in a timely fashion. Um, for that matter, are you able to, uh, in some cases, in some of these um, places where the shootings have happened, are you able to get these officers into the physical space um, to do it in that four uh, man diamond? One of the things that in going over Columbine before we started recording this podcast, one of the things that really struck me that I guess it just didn't really occur to me uh, until I started looking at this again is how much um, communication and, and information flow has improved simply because of the technology available. And um, I mean, the ubiquity of cell phones now compared to 1999, especially with, with kids having cell phones. I mean, that think about oh. um, 
Evaldi or or any of the other school shootings where you have at least officers getting information. I, I mean, I think that can help with the four, you know, they have it's, a little more information. Technology's come so far. Um, and, and the four man diamond has become obsolete. I apologize for putting you on the spot with it, but it certainly has become obsolete. Um, before I tell you how that's evolved, I, I want you to comment on the other thought, and that is mm-hmm. that we had police officers and we let them off the hook. We in training, we said if you don't have the guts, if you can't bring yourself to go in and 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 face the shooter, hunt the shooter, protect the children, that's okay. Stay outside and work the radio, be the communications guy. As a parent and a grandparent, how do you feel about the cop that does that? Well, I, I feel in one on the one hand, from an operational standpoint, you need people. Everyone has to play a role, even if you're the cop who's out there manning the radio. That's important. You know, you can't have everyone sort of freelancing and and doing their thing. Everyone has to kind of do their role. And and I'm OK with that sense. On the other hand, I feel we've reached a point where, um, look, teachers are having to. Um, you, you to be a teacher, you have to be prepared to um, know how to evacuate a classroom, know how to handle situations like that. Know, you know, what what is the plan for that school? Um, you can't, as a teacher, say, you know what, I'm I'm tapping out. I'm I'm not gonna, you know, I'm gonna have to go in the little panic room that the school might have, which they don't, but. Um, that doesn't happen. So on, on that sense, I feel like, look, you know, if you're having teachers, you're expecting them to operate at that level. Then as a law enforcement officer, you know, you need to be at least at that level, if not higher. All right. I want to thank you for sharing that outlook. And I, I'm going to tell you a point blank. I think you're being far, far too generous. Okay. Um, the four-man diamond went by the wayside because we recognized how slow it could be. A lot of places went to training two-man buddy teams uh, with an overarching four-man diamond so that, you know, I go in with my partner, you go in with your partner. If we happen to join up in the hallway, we have a plan to work together. We're now four-man team. Uh, we, we moved away from that because we re- realized it was too slow, and we went to single officer response. And quite honestly, every officer I know that has children, without fail, Every officer I know that has children said to me during training, if I get there and my backup's a minute away or 10 minutes away, I don't care. They can catch up to me. If I get to a school and there's somebody inside hunting children, I'm going to hunt the hunter. I'm going in. I'm not slowing down. I'm not waiting. That's just morally wrong. I'm going hunting. Um, My outlook has been now for 23 years, if you take an oath of office, to protect and serve you put on that badge you go to the training and then you find yourself in a position where the threats presented to innocence that you are sworn to protect and you abandon your oath my outlook is abandon your job turn in your badge find another way to make a living you're not worthy of it that's just my outlook um everybody i know that's a police officer today feels the same way everybody that's a police officer today and it's different for, okay, the people that went to the academy in 1990 didn't know that they were going to have to be doing this stuff. They thought mm-hmm. SWAT did that. And we'll talk about that in the next episode. 
everybody that went to the academy in 1998 felt the same way. But the people that went through the academy in 2000, they got active shooter response training in the academy. They knew this was a reality. They knew this was expected of them. And I hate to say it, but if you become, a, I don't hate to say it, that's lying. I'm, I'm saying this point, like, if you become a police officer thinking you're never, ever going to face a physical threat to your life, you're in denial. It's oh. it's a realistic part of the job. Um, so now where we are today, after Columbine, that the quote unquote Pearl Harbor, this event forced us to change how we do business because of the public outcry, quite understandable public outcry. Uh, at what the law enforcement did at the time. Now, I'm not being critical of law enforcement at the time. I wasn't there. And they did what they were trained to do and what their protocol told them to do. Um, and and like I said, in, in the next episode, we're going to talk about how that protocol came to be developed. We're going we're gonna to talk about an event in 1966 down in Texas. Um, people know it as the Texas Tower incident. We're going to talk about that and how it kind of shaped our response for law enforcement. And then we we did business for the same way until 1999 at Columbine, and then we changed how we did business again. Uh, it's not one of the six episodes that we have planned total, but uh, you know the terrorist attack at Beslan School Number 1 in Russia affected how we do business in the United States for active shooter events. And we'll look at this evolution and kind of uh, and see... I. I think it's easy to show that we're going in the right direction. I think it's easy to show that we have some bigger challenges coming. You mentioned Uvalde earlier, uh, and some parents showed up at Uvalde legally armed, wanting to go into the school to deal with the shooters. And I told the police quite point blank, if, if you're going to wait out here and do nothing, we'll go in and take care of it. And uh, we're going to have to deal with the reality of legally armed citizens in and around and near active shooter events. And that presents a, a different challenge, but, uh columbine right. was the the ice bucket over the head it was the cold water it was a slap in the face it 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 showed us point blank what we were doing wrong and how we had to do better uh, it's a shame it took the event and the public outcry to do it uh, did, did you feel too that columbine had so many different elements like all jammed in there you had more than one shooter you had um and they were well armed they had um put together um um i um explosives, IEDs, explosives. yeah that granted um i i think the a lot of them were ineffective or, or didn't didn't work um but still i you had so many different elements all at once that Going forward, I, I mean, thankfully, you really haven't seen that level. And, and, and at the same time, um, you know, it gave uh, law enforcement sort of an idea of, oh, my gosh, you know what? We could we might have to expect this. You know, this might be the new the new level that we have to be prepared for. Absolutely. You're right. It did. And, and all of that's covered in any good active shooter training program, uh, improvised explosives, the, the trauma medical care, the dealing with students that mm -hmm. are, I hate to say this, ignoring students that are injured and potentially dying. And you, if, if there's still shots being fired, you have to ignore them and go past them and keep going hunting. The reality that if you're a police officer who goes in and gets shot, we are not going to stop everything and drag you out and try to patch your bullet hole. Grab your tourniquet, grab your quick clot, grab your pressure bandage, 
you better treat yourself because you're on your own until we get the shooter. Neutralizing the threat is the primary goal. It was in 2000 when I took the first active shooter instructor course that I took. It remains so today. How we go about it has changed so that we can do it faster. Um, and I think that'll really be displayed across the, the course, course of these episodes, this six-episode series. I think anybody listening, whether they're sworn or not, will clearly understand uh, that law enforcement is doing all that they can to respond as efficiently as they can. Um, the biggest challenge we have is that we're we're reactive. You know, we we don't know criminals are creative people. You know, when when they go to commit crimes, mm -hmm. they know what our response is going to be, and they try to come up with ways to slow us down. Uh, Sung Hee Cho at at Virginia Tech chained doors shut because he knew that was going to prolong the amount of time he had to kill. Um, we don't prepare for that. That nobody prepared for that until after it happened, and then we try to prepare for that. And it, it's a whole new level of training and operational protocol. But I want to I want to remind our listeners we do appreciate our sponsor FirstNet powered by AT and T. Uh, Joe, I think we have to wrap this one up. I want to thank you very much uh, for being my sounding board and, and my moderator here in this conversation. Um, look forward Absolutely. to doing the next next one in the series. Sounds good. Um, for all of our listeners, stay safe. God forbid if an active shooter event happens in your jurisdiction, do your job, do it well. Uh, don't lose sleep over it. Talk to whoever you got to talk to. Never stop training. Never slow down. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Officer Roll Call. Be sure to check back every two weeks for a new episode. Stay safe.